So turn with me now, if you haven't already, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. And I would encourage you to bring your Bibles along each week so that you can keep your eye on the text as it is expounded, as Ron prayed. And preferably a paper one, so you can mark it up and make notes and what God told you this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can see that there are Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. You can grab one of those. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, perchance, you could take that Bible home with you as our gift to you this morning. This sermon series that we are currently in, I just want to remind you, is not a one-time event that we're going to move on from. It defines who we are, most importantly, and what we do as disciples of Jesus. And since that is true, it seemed good to me to remind us today of the big picture of the culture that we are trying to, with the help of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, the kind of culture we're trying to create at Grace here. I want you to remember our mission. Our mission is helping people move one step closer to Jesus. Unpack that a few months ago. And then we follow that up with understanding that that happens in gentle environment, a gentle environment of the good news, right? A constant immersion in the grace that we find in this news that we've been saved from our sin through no work of our own. We don't have to earn it. It's free because of the work of Jesus. And we need to keep extending that grace to each other more and more and more. A gentle environment made up of safety where absolutely no one has anything to fear in this place. And I'm not naive to know that that takes time. It takes time. We're going to talk about that more next week when we, when we move through the next step of joining this family. We want to be a place of the good news and safety and time. Because it takes a lot of time for complicated, complex people to rework their lives at fundamental levels. That doesn't happen quickly. And God is patient. (laughs) God is patient. We want to be a people marked by urgency, but not hurry. And those two are very different. So we are We are here to help people move one step, to grow one step closer to Jesus in a gentle environment of the good news and safety and time. And it requires three pathways to growing one step closer to Jesus. One of those pathways is the Sunday morning gathering. This oasis that happens here this morning. I hope and pray you've already felt it. I have. A place where come, where weary travelers can come and take a break from the journey of walking through this broken down world. And be refreshed. Were you refreshed singing these songs this morning? Oh my goodness. Maybe you, maybe you came in refreshed because someone spoke to you in the lobby and smiled at you and gave you a hug and shook your hand. A pathway to growth that we're trying to create here called learning environments. Because it's not just this time, but it takes knowledge to grow one step closer to Jesus. We have to exercise the muscle of our brain because you can't hold fast to Christ without that kind of strengthening. But it's not just the muscles of our brains. Community is vital. That's the third pathway to growth. 
It's vital alongside knowledge because as Ron prayed, we cannot live this life alone. But our best position to flourish, we are best positioned to flourish in the company of other souls. To know and be known. To know and be known by at least one other person. Fully known. It can be scary, but it's necessary. It happens in relationships. You can find those sermons on our website for all of those who maybe missed working through those things. And as I did that, it, all that remained was addressing the way that growth happens. To answer the question, what are the values and practices and disciplines that are required together to make up the abundant life of a disciple of Jesus? Well, one thing must be true about them, if I may state the obvious, they all have to be about Jesus. Because the scriptures are our guide in this. For when we go into the Bible, we discover that Jesus is our all in all, Colossians 3.11. That he upholds the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3. That he is the bread of life, John 6.48. That he is living water, John 4. That he is the hope of the world, Matthew 12.21. That he is the source of our relationship with God, 1 John 1.3. That he is the foundation of our joy, 1 John 1.4. He is our righteousness, 1 Corinthians 5.21. Our advocate, 1 John 2.1. Our cleansing from sin, 1 John 1, 7, our forgiveness, verse 9, our wrath remover, chapter 2, verse 2. He is our rest, Matthew 11, our peace, our reconciler, our truth, our way, our eternal life. He is high priest, sufficient savior, remarkable redeemer, faithful friend, steadfast shepherd, best brother, and quite importantly, he is our forever king. His name is Jesus, and he's my friend. Jesus didn't come to give you a better life apart from himself. He came to give you himself because without him, there is no life. John 10.10, I came that they, who's the they? You guys. I came that Grace Church might have life and have it abundantly, or in the New Living Translation, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Or in the message, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Only in Jesus. I mean, who doesn't want a good life? And how comforting to know that Jesus is acutely aware of that desire and he came to fulfill it and not merely fulfill it, but abundantly and richly and satisfyingly and eternally and better than you've ever dreamed because Jesus can dream bigger and better than any of us. Always. <laughs> and that's what our study these past weeks of the practices of a disciple of Jesus has been about discovering the good and rich and satisfying real life as defined by him through these practices. For these things are not items on a list to check off, although we call them next steps. Rather, they are the fundamental elements that make up a rich and satisfying life. Does that make sense? We've studied five. 
Do you know them? Do you remember them? Read your Bible. Talk to God. Come and see Jesus. Go and share Jesus and celebrate. There are three left. Are you ready? Here we go. One of the things that I love about Jesus is that he is always teaching. For Jesus, there wasn't a moment in the day that didn't hold out the possibility to teach us something about the kingdom of God and how to live in joy in light of that kingdom and being a part of that kingdom family, thus helping those around him live life abundantly, which means that as we read the biographies of Jesus, there will be times that we run across two or three sentences that don't even seem to be the main point of what he's on about, may in fact not be the main point of what he's on about, and yet there is still something to be learned about who he is and who he is calling us to be. If we're on the lookout, and I believe there's just such an instance of this in Mark's story of Jesus found in this third chapter. So as good Bible studiers, let's get the context first of the passage that Ron read to us. In verses 1 through 19 of Mark 3, Mark weaves the narrative with the threads of Jesus' ministry his interactions with the religious leaders, his healing of literally hundreds of people in need of both physical and spiritual healing, his confrontation with demonic forces that operate in this world, his withdrawal to the heights of a mountaintop to call to himself the 12 disciples. And then (laughs) Jesus goes home, verse 20. That's right. The great prophet The king of the world is also the member of a family. He has a mother and siblings. His father, Joseph, who has apparently died, and he goes home to share a meal with them. A meal, a simple meal. But as they're eating, the crowd, relentless in its need, tracks him down, draws him away, and makes it impossible for the family to even finish their meal. Like, picture this, right? Just sitting down to have a meal, and there they do. They come up to the house, pull them out, and they can't even finish eating. Have you ever experienced a family member so dedicated to their calling and vocation that they keep getting pulled away? Any wives out there? So much so that they missed meals with you? How did that make you feel? Maybe you felt like the family of Jesus. Look at Mark 3, 21. They went out to seize Jesus, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. Now, don't pass too quickly over this charge and feeling of the family of Jesus, as shocking as it may be to your ears to hear his family calling the Son of God insane, because that's what that word means. That's what that phrase means. He has lost his mind. Reflection on Jesus' eschatological sense of mission, his urgent drive to minister, his failure to properly eat and sleep undoubtedly led the family to this conviction. He's going bonkers. He's not acting the way he should be acting. And maybe if you think about it in their shoes, it kind of makes sense that they would be reacting this way 
to Jesus, trying to literally put hands on him and drag him home. Even if those feelings might be misguided upon further reflection. Because what they're doing is a, they're just observing, right? What a, rel- a relative who should, in their cultural experience, be committed to the clan above all other concerns, over against all other people, regardless of all of those needs out there, fidelity to family should come first. And because it appears to them that fidelity to outsiders is coming first, his zeal for his mission is mistaken as madness. Mark follows up this difficult scene with Jesus' family with another snapshot of the ministry of Christ, verses 22 to 29. But the narrative quickly moves back to this issue of Jesus and his mission and his family and his priorities. Verse 31, and his mother and his brothers came. Here they come again. And standing outside, they sent to him and called to him. And a crowd was sitting around him, blocking their way. And they said to him, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, frankly, in today's Western cultures, this maybe doesn't sound like a very big deal because it seems like we almost make it a point to live as far away from our family as possible. Jobs, pursuits, priorities are such that as soon as they graduate high school, children seem eager to leave the nest, get as far away as they can. It's normal in Western cultures. However, for those seated around Jesus in this moment, this statement would have been nothing short of shocking and subversive to absolutely everything they hold dear and close and everything they understood about what it meant to be part of a healthy culture and society. Because in the first century, in a Middle Eastern culture, and in many cultures outside the Western world still today, you drew your identity, you draw your identity from the group and not from yourself. And the group was always more important than the individual. You didn't have an identity or purpose or meaning outside of the group. And the most important group inside of the larger nation was the family. And the family demanded unswerving loyalty and commitment, particularly in sibling relationships. And in this moment in the life of Jesus, after he's just called to himself 12 men to whom he will be deeply connected for the next three years, in the middle of a watching crowd, Jesus teaches He disciples. He realigns priorities and radically challenges their understanding of what it will look like to follow him. And as he always does, he teaches by example. Jesus does not call us to things that he is not willing to do himself. Who are my mother and my brothers? And he pauses, looking around him. Who's sitting there? Well, the 12 disciples that he's just called to himself. The 12 that he is going to be committed to with love and fidelity and loyalty and unswerving commitment over the next three years. And he softly, I think he softly says, 
here are my mother and my brothers. Because you see, and here's what I really need you to understand, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And with that one gentle response, he reprioritizes an entire culture and everybody that would follow him. But I want you to note carefully, he doesn't prohibit the priority of commitment to the group over the individual. Rather, he provides a different object for that commitment. He does not say, you know, it's been wrong to draw your identity from the group that you are a part of. It's been wrong to see the group as more important than the individual. It's been wrong to see that the most important group, which should rightly demand your unswerving commitment, is the family. What I want for you is to be less connected. I want to free you up and separate you out and have you individually come and follow me. He does not say that. Rather, Jesus wants them to be more connected. He takes all of their current cultural understanding and expectation and belief and behavior and he reorients it to a new group. He redirects loyalties and priorities because he's creating a new group, a new family to which he himself is committed. Here are my brothers and sisters and mother. Do you see? He is saying that the group is still more important than the individual. And isn't that countercultural? And the group that Jesus emphasizes is still a family, not a club, not a business, not an organization, but a family, a family that he is creating and Jesus himself displays and calls for unswerving commitment and loyalty to this group of brothers and sisters, a family that should be above all others in our concerns to whom we give all and love fully. Friends, Jesus teaches that there is a bond that is greater than the biological bond of blood. And it is the, it is the bond that is found in his blood. And now that, say, I want to propose to you, now that you've seen that, this little teaching, I think he's trying to show us here, this idea of being born again, born into a different family, once you see that, you start to see it in the rest of Mark's story. You start to see that if we are to survive and thrive and follow Jesus, we must be deeply and completely connected to other disciples of Jesus. We need to connect. And I, I, need, to, I, I need to connect. I need to correct this. I will correct this slide for the future and when it gets posted because what I want that now to say, it struck me when we were praying earlier this morning connect with each other. I don't want to leave that off. Not just some vague connect. But we are to connect with each other. Matthew 10, 34 to 38. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. You can turn there if you, if you want. 
I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He doesn't say that you can't love your father and your mother and your kids. He's just pointing out, do you love them more than me? Luke 14, 25 to 27 and verse 33. Now great crowds accompanying Jesus and he turned and said to them, if anyone, Jesus always does this. Jesus is always giving crowd clearing, seat emptying sermons. Because it's easy to build a crowd. If anyone, anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever, do you see the totality of this? Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Huh. You know, one could read and hear what Jesus just said in those texts and respond something like, geez, what a downer. I mean, good grief, I thought this was about joy. This is really weighty. You're asking quite a bit, aren't you, Jesus? I don't even, how do I do all of that? I I don't even know that I really want to follow you. Which in part, I think, Jesus means for you to feel. I think Jesus wants us to feel the weight of what he is calling us to. And and brothers and sisters, I read those texts to you because I don't want to domesticate Jesus. You know what domesticating is, right? It's when we take an animal out of the wild and we bring it into our home, right? We, we tame it so that it acts how we want it to act. We take the wildness out of it. We domesticate it. And we must not do that to Jesus, and I think we try to. Jesus won't be tamed. He says things that have a bite to them. He is honest and real and frank with us. Just consider the context of Luke 14 that we just read. Maybe you're familiar with it. It's that whole bit about counting the cost, like the builder and the king going to war before we embark on something, thinking through what it's going to take to do that thing. So there is a sobering and challenging message here. But friends, that's not all that's here because Jesus has your good in mind. He has your health in mind. He has your growth and your strength in mind because he knows that we cannot live the life that he has called us to without being deeply connected, intimately connected to a family. With the great call, leave it all. He turns and says, I'm giving you a gift. 
Listen to how he says it to Peter in Mark 10. Turn there. You were in Mark 3. Flap over to Mark 10, verse 28. Peter began to say to him, just like he's, like, here he is. Okay, Jesus, do you see we have left everything and followed you? And Jesus says, truly I say to you. Now remember, that's a marker, right? Like something important is coming. He, he might say, amen, amen, truly I say to you, verily, verily, depending on your translation, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the good news of the kingdom of God who will not receive a hundred times, underline this, now in this time, Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Okay, you, you wanted to skip over this with persecutions and in the age, eternal life. In other words, focus less, fo- listen to me now, Focus less on anything you may have lost because of following Jesus and instead see all that you have in Jesus and all that comes along with Jesus now and in the age to come. Didn't we sing of this truth this morning? Okay, can you sing it with me? What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. For this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I but through Christ in me. Do you see? Part of coming to Jesus is renouncing all that we have and getting Jesus. What more do we need? And then Paul can write, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? (laughs) And it's different, isn't it? That's what I call gospel math. We clamor and we grab at the things that we think we so desperately need. And if we'll just let go and hold on to Christ, he will give us everything we need and more. Oh my goodness. This would be so life-altering if we could get this. He will give us all houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands in this time. You know what he's saying? All that stuff that you guys own, 
all those nice houses that you live in, all those possessions, those cars you drive, those are mine. What you doing for lunch today? What you having? I'm hungry. I'd love to come over. Can you give me a ride? When someone loses their home because they lost their job and the bank foreclosed, where are they going to live? When someone goes on unemployment, they don't have enough money to feed their kids, who's going to help feed their kids? Because we're connected, we share these things. And don't miss what he says. You'll get all of that with, with persecutions. You see, Jesus doesn't see life in this broken and fallen world through rose-colored glasses. So he's honest about that with us. The hard things are not going to stop in this life and the difficult times are still going to come even though we have Jesus and are in Jesus, maybe because we have Jesus. But he also shows us the way through Namely, we will endure through persecutions inside of the family that Jesus has given to us and because of the family that Jesus has given to us. We endure by embracing our brothers and sisters in Christ and by loving them and giving ourselves to them and realigning our priorities and our lives around them. So friends, do not neglect this community when times are good saying, oh, I'm good, I don't need that right now. Because hard times are coming. Jesus promises it. And then where are you going to be? Now listen, that doesn't mean that we're going to all act with some swagger like, oh, now you want us. We're still going to love you. But do you see the principle? Be committed because someone's going to need your help when they're down and you're up. And then you're going to be down and they're going to be up. And that's how we help each other. Let's be honest, though. The thought of trying to connect with a group as large as Great Church as Grace Church is a bit overwhelming. I'm, I'm preaching to you. Jesus is preaching to you to connect. And maybe you look around. How in the world do I connect with all these people? There were 350 people here last Sunday. How do I do that? How do I get deeply connected with over 300 people? Well, the answer is you don't because that would be impossible for you. And can I just give you a little pastoral reminder? It's impossible for me too. But it is possible in smaller, smaller gatherings. You see, you were saved into community and a family, the scripture teaches, where you can love one another with brotherly affection. Romans 12, 10, where you can outdo one another in showing honor, same verse, where you can live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, 16, where you can welcome one another as Christ welcomed you, Romans 15, 7, where you can instruct one another, Romans 15, 14. You can have the same care for one another, 1 Corinthians 12, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, with patience. Bear one another in love, Ephesians 4, 2, where you can be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you, Ephesians 4.32, where you can stir one another up toward love and good works, Hebrews 10.24, where you can encourage, encourage, encourage one another. Hebrews 10, 25, where you can confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. James 5, 16, you were saved to be in a place where you can celebrate Jesus with each other and all that he is doing and accomplishing in and through us and where we can trust him to do that work among us, understanding and declaring, yet not I but through Christ in me, if you think that's too much for you. Because not you. Jesus does this in us. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't give up before you start. So that's why we have a few community groups and desperately need more. Smaller groups of brothers and sisters with whom you can deeply connect, mature, grow, help each other grow one step closer to Jesus because you need this. Do you know that? You were made for community. You were created for community. Joe Thorne, without community, we cannot experience life as God intended. As God said, it is not good for anyone to be alone. Isolation is a consequence of the fall and a major reason why Christians flounder in the faith. It is only as we learn to live together by faith that we can begin to experience the Christian life in all of its fullness. I think it's why elsewhere Jesus spoke of himself as the vine and that we are his branches. And so often we look at that and go, oh yeah, I'm connected to Jesus. But have you ever noticed what branches have in common? That they're not only connected to the vine, but therefore they are fundamentally connected to and dependent on each other? It was life lived as a family in community among the disciples of Jesus. Do you know this? That's what set the world on fire. In the very beginning of the history of the church, we see a people radically committed to Jesus, but also radically committed to each other. Acts 2, everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles, all the believers living in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned. They pulled their resources so that every person's need was met. They followed a daily daily discipline of worship in the temple, which for us that would mean coming here every single day, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant enjoy. I'm still reading Acts 2, as they praise God. People in general liked what they saw about them. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. Community, in essence, is evangelistic. That's what I just saw. And it spread and it spread and it spread across the known world. This beautiful display of messy people living as family, sharing their stuff with each other, sharing their hearts with one another. And they stayed committed to each other, not abandoning each other, even when it was uncomfortable. And let us be clear, it will not always be comfortable, will it? You did not choose the family that you were biologically born into and you don't choose the family you're spiritually born into either. God didn't ask your permission to place you here. So you, you've been made a family 
A family with over-aggressive huggers like me who always bypass that dang Christian side hug for the full-on version. You've been made family with the under-aggressive person who doesn't even know whether to shake you or shake your hand or hug you when they kind of come up to you. Family with the know-it-all who mansplains everything to you when you start talking to them about something. Family with those really sweaty-handed people who lay it on your shoulder and it like bleeds through the shirt as they pray for you. (laughs) Family, are you ready? Family with the one who voted for Trump. Family with the one who voted for Biden. Family for the one beyond my reasoning who likes country and not rock and roll. (laughs) Family with the one who cheers for the Packers. The Packers. Family with the one who is vegan. (laughs) Family with the person who Well, just fill in the blank for the quality that you don't particularly like. All you have to do is look at the very first community group that Jesus called into into existence, his disciples, to see that this looking at each other and accepting each other as family thing would have a share of challenges. Have you ever thought about who he called as disciples? A zealot whose calling was to engage in anarchy and the overthrow of the government, and to that he added a tax collector. Can you imagine what those first few meals were like? Now throw in some common fishermen concerned with the very basics of life and a thief, a thief who cared only for himself. Jesus did that on purpose. Jesus did that with purpose. Dear friend, the the life that Jesus has called you to means joining your imperfect self (laughs) Some of you are like, I don't have any faults. I'm okay. I'm good. Joining your imperfect self to many other imperfect selves to form an imperfect community that through Jesus will embark on a journey toward a a better future together. That's what he has for us. If we're willing to obey him. Worship team, would you come up? We cannot walk alone. We can't. We're going to talk about this more next week. This is going to be kind of a to be continued with join our family. Here, Ecclesiastes 4, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope is not easily snapped. Amen.